0: Okay, so everybody should have gotten a set of the notes, they're down front here if you didn't, and I think they've got pens if you need something to write with. so um, This morning, I think what I'd like to do is maybe just lay some of the groundwork and we'll get into some of the practical stuff if time allows, but um, let's just jump right into the notes and, and, and we'll get rolling. We've got a lot to cover in three days and very little time to cover it all in. And so uh, section number one are the goals for this year's alumni track. So I'm I'm actually trusting the Lord to, to hit a few key areas in this first morning session. Obviously, we want to, as pastors, we want to gain insight into the philosophy and the best practices for making disciples. We want to position ourselves and our local churches so that we're winning souls, we're making disciples we want to train, equip and we want to send proven leaders. that's our objective as local churches. so what has to happen is we want to be supported, we want to be envisioned to um, man I thought I thought you were bringing me coffee, but it's okay No, it's all good. No, I don't. I got water. I just like that's like the, the extra love you know that's all. Um, so what can, so we want to be supported to do what the mission is calling us to do. A lot of pastors get caught in the trap of existing Monday to Sunday. Uh, that is a deadly trap. If everything is about pulling off a great Sunday, we're, we're, we're actually leaving a lot of the mission left on the table and I think a lot of you guys know what I'm talking about um, so, Monday morning, the grind just starts all over again, and, and, the, and the chief, of, so what happens is you get caught in this rut of just holding services, and like little kids, what ends up happening is like a little kid will play house, uh, it's easy for churches to get caught in the rut of just playing church, and so we're, we're you know, what are we going to do? for Sunday service, what are we going to do for our, how do we get more people to come to the midweek service, that kind of thing, and so we don't want to get caught in that trap, we want to be able to step back enough and say, are we doing the things that produce the results that we say we want to get, are we in faith trusting the Lord to make his commands over our life as a local church a reality in the life of our local church, and so my hope is, uh, what we're going to look at are fundamentals, but they'll, my, my, my prayer is that they'll encourage you and, and um, you know, if, if, if wherever it's needed, you know, they'll be a part of envisioning churches to move forward in ministry. And so the method that I'll use is we'll just pop the hood on MBT and, and I'll just share with you what we're doing. I want you to see the ministry engine structure, the processes that we know are producing the results that we're seeing at MBT and then you can assess it from there. Um, but the goal will be to communicate it in terms of ministry approach and philosophy, and and then hopefully provoke other pastors to do something similar in this track in future discipleship conferences, and and that's in the last section of your notes. You can skip ahead at any time if you want. Uh, This is me just spitballing on some topics that I know I would love to hear uh, from other churches, other pastors that have been there, done it, and hopefully I can learn from you guys. And so that's point number three, to provoke... Some living faith fellowship pastors to take some topics that are in their wheelhouse and, and envision and encourage the rest of us. Uh, that's in the, the, again, the last section. So there are many topics that could be just, you know, one off topics or a whole series. And, and um, if we have time, we can, we can look at that on, on Wednesday. Um, but I think many of you can be used greatly of God to help build the rest of us up. Uh, you know, in terms of a pastor and our calling as a disciple maker, God has given you insight that I know I can benefit from. And so hopefully we can provoke some of that thought for future conferences. Okay, so this year we're going to look at MBT. And I'll just tell you right up front, here's the disclaimer. MBT, I know that as a church we have not arrived. Uh, So if if I pop the hood on our ministry and you're like, oh, mm, 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 you know, okay. Well, praise the Lord, you know. Maybe you're just going to learn what not to do, and glory to God. But in terms of this year's content, um, I know if we pop the hood on the ministry at MBT and and poke around a little bit, um, that still may not land the plane on your runway in terms of what you need to hear. And so hopefully Tuesday and Wednesday we can take a little bit of time at the end of the session and and get some Q&A, and hopefully we can talk about the concepts and the principles and in the context of maybe your local church. Okay, so that's section number one. Section number two, background concepts and considerations for this track this year. I gotta start with a disclaimer. I'm not an expert on anything, so you just need to know that up front. Um, hopefully it's not a session that's comprised completely of the blind uh, leading pastors, but um, you just need to know this is very intimidating for me. Um, Talking to pastors about how to pastor is, uh, there's a part of me that, that, you know, I'm basically by nature a, a, a fairly insecure person. And so by, by nature, I'll just, I want to hide, uh, especially when I know the holes in my own pastorate and the holes in, in our ministry at MBT. But uh, I'm going to tell you what God is doing. And so I want you with all my heart to please take it in the spirit in which it is offered. I'm just going to share my testimony this week of how God has led me and given me insight into my role as pastor at our local church at MBT. And many of you are going to be able to give and bring much more to this track moving forward. And, and just so you know, I'll be anxious and eager to learn from you. Um, but that's the key. Okay, We want to grow as pastors. We, we don't want to stay in the place where we're satisfied with the status quo. We want to always be seeking God's will. We want to be seeking his word and his direction for our pastorates and, by extension, our local churches. And so I'm learning. I'm growing. I'm not at a master's level uh, on anything in the pastorate yet. Maybe by the time I'm 70, I'll be able to speak with some authority and, and um, you know, have something to offer the young whippersnappers. But, um, but you know, pray for me. All right, so... God's been very good to me. Um, I will tell you, I'm convinced I pastor some of the greatest people in the world. Uh, Midtown Baptist Temple is a wonderful church with a great deal. The, the majority of the people at MBT are all in. What God wants, how he wants it, where he wants it, when he wants it, what it looks I mean, they're just in. They're eager for God, God's will. And I know that even for many of them, they think that they're all in and, and they don't even know that they're not. You know, we live in a Laodicean age. Um, it's so so the, the level of consecration is probably, for a lot of MBT members, it's on a Laodicean scale of consecration. It's like, you know, there's a very uh, wonderful news site that uh, Sarah Blankenship submitted an essay to and it was titled, I'm finally ready to completely and totally surrender a small fraction of my life to God. And uh, she writes, it finally happened. I always knew it would, after years of trying to do this whole thing called life in my own strength, I got a heavenly dose of reality from my creator. God brought me to a breaking point. He brought me to a crossroads in my life. He made me realize I can't do this on my own. I am ready to let go of the illusion of control that she says I am finally ready to completely and totally surrender a small fraction of my life to God. I write this today as a new woman. I feel like a great weight has been lifted off my shoulders. The emotions that i felt over the last 48 hours are indescribably beautiful. After, at long last, I listened to the voices screaming within my spirit and loosened my stubborn grip on a minuscule portion of my life, offering it up to God as a pleasing sacrifice. I'll never look back. I'll never be the same. I'm a new woman. That much I know. I've reached the end of my rope, and I gave it all to God. I laid it before my Savior and promised Him that while I continue to run the bulk of my life as though He didn't exist... I'm dedicating this miniature fragment to him with reckless abandon, forever. (laughs) I'm I'm filled with optimism and hope as I look forward to, for the rest of my life, consecrating this minute piece of my life to Jesus while keeping the vast majority for myself, completely separated from him, doing with it whatever I please. This is it, no holding back. This tiny piece of my life belongs to you, Jesus. I can't wait to see how this extraordinary adventure unfolds. And so I get (laughs) right? It's easy for us to, to see ourselves and, and we think we're all in and sold out and, and have no idea. You know, we're just starting the journey of consecration and, and learning what it means to follow Christ as Lord of our life. But, but uh, man, God has been very good to our church. And in a Laodicean age, uh, at MBT, just like in much of our Living Faith Fellowship, we've got so many people who are growing in the Word of God and they're growing in His truth. And, and overall. Uh, consecration levels at MBT are growing, and to make a pitch for the approach to the pastor as a disciple maker, I kind of have to give you a, test. if I'm going to sell you a product, you have to have a testimonial, right? Does that make sense? If I'm going to pitch you an approach, then you got to know what results it can produce, and so I got to testify a little bit over everything that God has done with a small people in a ha- in a hard place with little resources, and it makes me notice, uh, 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 you know, notice the context that we're in, and it and it makes me nervous because of the context that we're in. Because if I give you the testimony of what God is doing at MBT, then you know, I I, I don't know how else to do it, but but give you some percentages, and and uh, that's dangerous because it can sound like crowing or. Or uh, like Second Corinthians chapter ten verse twelve, an invitation to compare ourselves and commend ourselves and measure ourselves by ourselves, and and uh, you know measuring ourselves among our, that's just not wise. And so numbers come off like crowing, or or maybe you look at the numbers and you're like, that's pitiful. You're excited over. I don't know. It's just. But I I need to give you a testimonial of what has happened at MBT because I want you to see that what God has promised in His Word it works it absolutely works and uh, you know if you're gonna be in the pastorate and you're gonna work hard and you're gonna slave and you're gonna you're gonna lay down your life work in the ministry you ought to get the results that that you were going for okay so I need you to see what's what God is doing at MBT before I fill you in on the very simple approach that we've taken to get where we're at and and then you can take it or leave it you can grain of salt it or you can use it I mean um, the Lord bless you. Okay, so with the biblical philosophy of ministry that we pursued, here's what God's doing with a little church in the hood uh, that began 11 years ago. 11 years ago, um, actually 10 years ago, we were in the process of buying the building that we're in now, and uh, we were convinced that this is where God had led us, and and we desperately needed classroom space, and we weren't willing to sink the dollars into getting it in a building that we were renting. and So anyway, we worked out a deal with the owner. The owner of the building before us was uh, a pastor out of the Jesus Movement. And a good, lovely Christian brother. uh, They ran a coffee house out of the basement. You probably went and banged your head, uh, Tony, to a number of bands in the basement of our church back in the day. And, uh, you know... They, they, had a, they had a Jesus church going, and, and it was going really well. But then he got health problems, and the whole thing kind of came apart. And then they started renting the property out, and that's how we ended up in there. But once, he, once we signed the deal, uh, he's wishing me luck moving forward. But then he kind of fills me in. He says, well, you know, Pastor, I'm, I'm praying for you because you need to know that this is Satan's seat in Kansas City. Uh, nothing ever works here. Well, that's what he told me. I was like, well, you know, that was actually pretty strategic to tell me that after you actually sold the building, good luck, nothing ever works here. And, and he, you know, his health was shot and, and uh, I know that the world ended up getting some of his family and, and uh, you know, kind of a rough deal. And so that put me on my face before the Lord uh, in a big way. You know, I'd been on my face up to that point, but now I'm on my face with desperation Lord, you didn't bring me to Midtown Kansas City just to fail. I don't believe that. And uh, men can labor and the labor can be in vain, but Lord, I know you work. And Lord, if you're building the house, then it cannot it cannot fail. And and praise the Lord. So, here's what we decided. We're going to go with God or we're going to go down, right? We're going to take a biblical approach to ministry or we are going to fail. And I don't want to, in other words, if I can build a church that's based upon my ability as a speaker, or our ability to pull off services, uh, to pull off uh, the right amenities, uh, the right, you know, you got to have the right services and amenities for the country club members to come and be able to enjoy, and, and then hopefully they'll invite their friends, and we'll all just be a bunch of carnal Laodicean goats in a corral for Jesus, you know, and and so, no, if, if we can't take a biblical approach, then I want to go get a job where I can make real money, you know. So at MBT, here's your first set of blanks, we decided that any growth would be based on Bible study, discipleship, more Bible study, expository preaching, all in a vir- an environment where every member is being challenged, equipped, trained, and deployed as a growing minister. Okay, so those are your blanks, and I think the PowerPoint's not on the back, so I'm just going to trust that, that the PowerPoint keeps up. Um, with uh, where we're going. If something gets off track, just raise your hand, and, and uh, we'll we'll try to get it straightened out. So that's what we've done. Um, ministry is all about an open book. We know this. But that's where we're doing ministry, is with an open book. And the growth, because we've taken a discipleship approach, the growth has been very slow at MBT, but... Where we're at today is uh, we've gone from a church plant in 2007, a Bible study in 2005, a church plant in 2007, and today I had to look it up because I didn't know what size our church was. Um, I just have always called us a little church in the hood, but we're actually, I found out, you know, the, the, the church um, consultants, you know, the people that help people with church growth, uh, I found out we're a large church. We're in the medium in the medium scale. We're like a, a, a small, medium, large church. We're a church of about 650 to 700 people in the middle of Kansas City. If you looked at the Kansas City Metroplex, Midtown Baptist Temple is right in the very center of the map. Uh, we're basically 40th and Main. It's 40th and Walnut, but it, it, for all practical purposes, we're at 40th and Main. It's where uh, the, the traditional party part of Kansas City, Westport, meets the very rich, affluent part of Kansas City, the Country Club Plaza. Um, you've got a very wealthy set of neighborhoods. We're surrounded by a lot of colleges. Um, and then we're also joined hard to the hood. And so it was, you know, our, our zip code 64111 uh, used to be in the top 10 murder list for the United States. I mean, we were, we were famous. Uh, praise the Lord, we're not on that list anymore. Um, but there's still plenty of murders in six I mean six, four, one, one, one. represent what? you know I mean this like uh, we've had four murders on our block in the last year uh, in the last twelve months time frame. We saw we saw one of them, um, you know three four, five weeks ago, six weeks ago, something like that. Um, two of our ladies. We're suffering, you know. Like a guy tried to carjack them on their way to church, you know. I mean, that's that's where we do, that's where we do ministry. And so it's a it's a small people in a hard place with an open book, and the goal is a ministry of discipleship. And here's what God's produced out of the 600 to 700 people that call MBT home, and that's not impressive to me. Okay. The, the, the number of people that assemble at MBT, but, but, but the rest of this, man, I, I give glory to God for. Okay, so I take out 150, 160, because those are wearing diapers all the way up to seniors in high school. In other words, they're there because they have to be. Some are there because they want to be. By the time they're in middle school and high school, some of these are there because they want the Bible in their life. Uh, but for the most part, if you're wearing diapers, you don't actually get a say in what you're doing on Sunday, You are drugged to church, Uh, so I'm not counting them, um, but let me tell you about the rest of our church. The discipleship team is growing. We've got actually over 230 trained disciplers at MBT with a little over half discipling at any given time. Okay, you're going to scratch your head at the numbers here in a second because we've got 105 in discipleship right now. You say that doesn't add up you know if there's 115 people discipling 105 people how does that work well we'll talk about our apprenticeship program uh, before we're done we've got 105 in discipleship we've got 150 active this semester in the Living Faith Bible Institute of which 51 are in discipleship too so if you just look at it from that standpoint over two-thirds of the church is involved in actively growing to make disciples, and if you count the people that are being discipled, that are growing as disciples in Christ, I can tell you, hand to God, well over, far more than three-fourths of our church, they're actively growing in Christ, they're pursuing God in his word as a disciple of Christ, or they're part of the company that's helping to make that possible. In other words, the overwhelming majority of our church has their Bible open either to learn it or to help somebody else learn it, and they're doing it with a vision to see that ministry reproduce all over the world, and so we planted a church in Tampa two years ago and in Lee Summit. Uh, The Tampa church is, we had zero contacts there. Um, It has been slow, brutal going, (laughs) and praise the Lord, it is growing. Uh, we're, We're about that 40 Person Mark in attendance. You know, and and for them, it's really exciting. You know, they're starting to see some momentum, and, and it's neat to watch. The Lee Summit Church, we've got contacts, you know, relationships all over Kansas City, and and we've done a lot helping them. Uh, they've done a lot working their neighborhood, and they're already over 140 people in attendance and growing. They're looking for a, a, a permanent church home at this point. So the ministry is multiplying. What's even more exciting than that, uh, last year at Focus, um, what you have on the screen behind me is everybody at Focus who are making a first-time decision to surrender their life to missions, to multiplying missions around the world. In other words, it's not everybody that has surrendered to multiply missions, but in this photo behind me, 25 of those are from MBT, 25 of those faces are from MBT who are saying, I am surrendering my life for the first time this week to trust God to be a part of a team in some way, somehow to be a part of multiplying the ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple somewhere else in the world. And so let me just say this, it's fun to pastor at Midtown Baptist Temple. People are hungry, Uh, nobody's sleeping when the book is open, um, well, that's not true. Sometimes uh, <laughs> there'll be somebody that comes in on the bus and, and he, you know, every once in a while there'll be somebody that's just sleeping off a rough week. You know, There'll be that. But uh, if they keep coming and we get our hooks in them, uh, people are on the front of their pew, their, their Bibles are open, they're taking notes, they're eager to learn. Uh, they want to get to the place where they can get the book open with somebody else so they can invest who God is and what God has given them in his word into the lives of other people. Uh, It is exciting to be a part of something like that, where the people desire to see ministry multiply. And I just say all that to say this, none of that happened by accident. None of it. Uh, It was the result of a biblical determination to structure our church so that every member understood how to behave themselves in the house of God. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul told Timothy, I'm writing you this letter so that you know how you ought to behave yourself in God's house. In other words, you don't get to do what you want with God's people. You don't get to lead God's people the way that seems best to you. There is a biblical approach to ministry that if you will follow it, it will, it will result in the multiplying of God's kingdom. And so what's exciting is uh, we've got another team queuing up uh, this next, over this next year. We'll be sending 10 to 20 people to Boston to plant a church uh, right in the heart of Boston. We're going to trust the Lord to reach international students and in a neighborhood and, and see ministry multiply from the northeast. We've got another team that's queuing up. We're trusting the Lord to send anywhere from 10 to 20 people to Vietnam to do church planning with the Vietnamese people, and, and, and that's hopefully, if the 25 from last focus are any representation of what God is doing in our church, hopefully this is just the tip of the iceberg, In other words, I tell our people at MBT all the time, you know, if if the Lord tarries and if we'll keep our eye on the ball, by the time you put my wrinkled up, right, dusty old butt in the the ground, um, we won't be able to keep track of everything that God is doing that began with a small people in a hard place from the hood in Kansas City. Uh, but that is something that God can do. Okay, so I know there's a lot that we miss. I know there's a lot that we don't do well as a church. Uh, there's a lot I'm still figuring out. I can talk to you all day about the shortcomings and the weaknesses and the failures of Midtown Baptist Temple. I'm an expert on everything that's wrong with MBT. Uh, but praise the Lord, that's what qualifies us for God to use us for his glory. You know, I mean, I don't think that the heart of our people is to willfully... Um, be negligent, or to willfully thumb their nose at God and follow another agenda. I think their want to is set to, God, your will rule over my life, and it pleases the Lord to take our weakness, it qualifies us that he uses us now for his glory. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, the calling is, it's not many wise men after the flesh, it's not many mighty, it's not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught the things that are. And praise the Lord. That's my resume. (laughs) I mean, foolish, weak, base, despicable. Praise the Lord. That qualifies me. Why, that no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Man, praise the Lord. That encourages me so much, you know. As a pastor, then, and so this would be hopefully the first thing that we're reminded of. As pastors, we want to small ourselves. We don't want to work to prove ourselves. Now, again, I'll be talking about sending proven leaders, be willing to send proven leaders. And by that, I don't mean leaders who in pride have proven, I'm the man, I'm the greatest thing ever. You know, they're (laughs) fruit-bearing. Proven ministers are people that God are using to see souls saved and disciples made. God's using them to equip and uh, to train leaders and, and, and send them out. Uh, So I want to, as a pastor, it's, it's, it's critical that as God moves, I continue to small myself. I don't have to prove myself. If I want God to be glorified, then I have to recognize all I am is foolish, weak, base, and despisable. But I can humble myself before the Lord. I can humble myself under the mighty hand of God. And then that, all of that weakness and failing is what qualifies me for God to be glorified in my life. Why? Because I don't get to take any credit. If there's any credit that is going to be taken, it would be this. We're going to do it God's way so that we get God's result. We're going to follow God's plan so that God's purposes are realized in the church. Then God gets all the glory. In other words, I'm just the idiot that did what I was told and uh, the boss got his way with his workers praise the Lord okay so I I I want small myself not prove myself why because I need the I need God to do all that he's called me to do through me and through the ministers of Midtown Baptist Temple there is not one thing that God has called me to that I can actually do in and of myself I, I I can't do any of it I can't translate a soul from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light I can't save anybody God has to open their eyes to the truth of the gospel and pour out his spirit on them in conviction and bring them to the place where they recognize I'm a sinner in desperate need of a savior. I can't do that. Now, I can open my mouth and be what God uses to bring them to that place, but I can't save anybody. I can't make anything, anyone grow. I can't mature a believer in Jesus Christ. I can't conform anyone to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have a wife and three kids. I can't make any of them be good people. I can't do that. The the things that God's called me to are 100%, all of them are beyond my capacity. I don't have that ability. But I can position myself so that God can work through me, and then he can wreck people for his glory. And praise the Lord, I want to be a part of that. So that brings me to point number two. And again, we're just still in setup. The heart of a disciple-making pastor. Okay. So if you hear something in how we're rolling at MBT this week, That motivates you to adjust course at your church, just remember that pastoring is sheep care. Okay, so dealing with sheep, we, we we can never forget this, and it's easy for pastors to forget this because you're in charge. If you're in charge, that means you get your way. Hold on. Nope. I tell all of our growing leaders all the time, the more in charge you get, the less you get your way. As a matter of fact, there's very little that there's very little that goes the way I want it to uh, in terms of details in particular as at MBT. And again, in terms of ministry philosophy, mm, it's, it's the Bible way or the highway. Okay, That's my job as a gatekeeper. But when we're dealing with sheep, and if you see that there's a course correction needed, just remember, forcing change is confusing and confounding. Leading change, though, is exciting for the whole flock. Does that make sense? Uh, if I come to the place where I recognize, you know, we've been missing a couple key critical components in our local church ministry, and we're going to make some changes around here. I better be very careful with that, because if I take a hard left turn, going 50 miles an hour, half the family in the back of the truck, right, it's going, this is how we grew up, I grew up in the, I grew up, I mean, I grew up in a place that was a lot like this, okay, and, and so seatbelts, belts. we rode around the back of a pickup truck. I have fallen out of a few pickup trucks, that's probably what's wrong with me. I've fallen out of a few pickup trucks. I remember one time my dad, uh, we were building a house down in the southwest Missouri in the Ozark Mountains, and that's and, uh, where I grew up. And uh, he had to pick up a load of plywood for decking uh, in, uh, in, in uh, Powell, no, no, it was Purdy, Purdy, Missouri, on uh, Highway 36. And uh, so, you know, mom, dad are in the front of the truck, three kids are in the back setting on the plywood and there's a big truck coming down the highway, he wants to get out ahead of it. So he guns it, gets out on, the problem was is the whole load, three kids in all, (laughs) plopped out right in the middle of Highway 37, and here comes the big (laughs) You know how the brakes do, (laughs) coming down on us. Um, You you take a hard turn with your family in tow, you can actually lose a lot of people over the side, and that happens in churches all the time. I I watched a, a pastor, it, grow a church from 2,500 to 1,000 people, making adjustment after adjustment after adjustment, taking hard left after hard left after hard left, and it's like, why, why is everybody leaving? Well, because you're a moron, that's why. You know, that's... You can't treat families that way. You can't do that. You can't force the flock. You can't drive the herd like that. And so, good pastors don't lord over God's people. That's your next blank. We don't lord over God's people. We tend them, right? We don't, we don't lord, okay? There are times we have to rule, but we can only rule as long as they're voluntarily submitting to their pastor, right? I can't make anybody do anything. Uh, I don't lord, I tend, right? I don't I don't demand, I shepherd. And so this is it. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2 tells us to feed the flock which is among us, taking the oversight thereof. So I'd underline that word oversight, not by constraint, but willingly. Not a, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. You're not doing it because you need the money. You're doing it because God called you to it. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. You ought to underline in samples. And when the chief, whenever the chief, when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown. underlying crown of glory that fadeth not away. So God made you an overseer. You're a you're a, you're a, a bishop. You're an administrator right? You have to make sure the church is organized, on track, and heading the right direction, and that is a calling of God. You're the one that sets the vision. You're the one that points to the hill, right? The hill that the flock needs to go graze. You're the ensample. You model it first, you know? Um, the ensample is the pastor or the shepherd that lives what he's speaking. You see the example of that in the Apostle Paul with the church at Thessalonica. He tells them in verse 5, you saw how we were with you, and then in verses 6 through 10, he says, then you saw how we were with you, and then that's how you were with everybody else, and, and that's how the ministry multiplied. Now, everybody in Greece knows what it means to be a Christ follower. Uh, so somebody has to shepherd God's people. And this, in, in the world's terms, this is despisable. In Genesis chapter 46, right, Egypt, type of the world, absolutely despises a shepherd. Um, and you know this. Being a pastor is despisable in the eyes of the world. It's very rare that, you know, every once in a while I love it whenever I meet somebody in a position of authority, especially in the government that grew up old school. Um, as a matter of fact, I went to get my, uh, if you travel a lot, you want to get the pre-check, it's worth it. You pay like 100 bucks, 200 bucks, something like that. And then you go through the short line. Uh, you don't have to stand up and, well, they look at all your, your stuff, you know, on, on the, the, the X-ray scan or whatever that is. Uh, you go through the metal detector. Uh, you get to keep your shoes on. You don't have to yank all the stuff out of your back. I went into that place. For the inter- this is where they grill you and make sure you're not a threat to national security. When this guy found out I was a pastor, he's like, oh, man, great. Do you have any questions for me? And then he signed my paper, and I was off. And I'm like, oh, man, praise the Lord. For every time that happens, there's 100 more times when you <laughs> inform people you're a pastor. and They're like, oh, you got the plague or something. Like they like, take two steps back. They don't want you to get your cooties on them or I don't know. It's despisable, but it is the most precious position that a person can have, to be entrusted with the care of God's children, uh, the flock of God. It's a wonderful thing, and there's a reward that comes with it, the crown. That's the reward there is souls, and so it's built into the work because the people are your treasure. Philippians chapter 4, brethren, what does he call them? My joy, my crown. You are my reward. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19, what is our hope? Or joy, or crown of rejoicing, are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? Man, the people that we get to pastor are our reward at the judgment seat of Christ. They are our treasure. Okay, and so what happens? And I grew up hearing all the same jokes, you know. But we need to be done with the mentality of you know, ministry would be great for for all the people, <laughs> and it, and that is a great joke to let off steam in hard times. But that's not the mentality of a shepherd. Right? Ministry would be great if it were for all the people. No, actually, the ministry is the people, and they are the treasure. That's what we're in it for. So here's the key. We've got to love investing in God's people. Man, if we don't love it, we're in the wrong industry. <laughs> we, need go, we need to go perfect another craft somewhere else. We've got to love investing in God's people. and We need that because sometimes we don't feel like it. We're not on top of our game. Or sometimes the sheep are really hard to love. Paul in Philippians chapter 1 says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work will perform it uh, in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, even as it is meet for me to think this uh, of you all, because I have you in my heart. And as much as both in my bonds and in defense and confirmation of the Gospels, ye are all partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And I'm praying that you will be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you will live what you know, and that it will be profitable at the judgment seat of Christ. Paul loved the people that God gave him to minister to. If we're going to be disciple makers, if the pastor is going to function as a multiplier of workers for the ministry, we have to love God's people. It's like parenting. Man, you got to love your kids. More importantly, your kids got to know you love them. Why? Because you got to say hard things to them. You have to correct them. You have to stop them when they don't want to stop. You have to discipline them whenever they feel like they were just fine rolling the way that they were rolling. What are you thinking, old man? Like, you're, if you don't have your kid's heart, you're not going to get anywhere with their behind. Does that make sense? Let me clarify that in case somebody takes that out of context. <laughs> You've got to have your, heart, your kid's heart for the discipline to work. Does that make sense? If I don't have my kid's heart, um, I can discipline, I can train, and I can instruct, and they'll be bitter not instructed. Uh, they'll grow distant from me. They won't actually represent me well in their generation. I have to have the heart of the church. If I'm going to be a disciple maker then i need to be thankful for the people that god's given me and i need to be able to pray for them rejoicing if i'm going to make disciples as a pastor i have to take those 700 people into my heart now here's what's amazing about a heart a heart has actually infinite capacity it's weird okay so i'm not actually good at loving anyone okay i'll just let me give you another disclaimer i'm terrible you know why I'm not calling? Many, you, many of you, uh, you like, you, all of, everybody in this room is dear to me. Um, I can't keep up with my stuff. Man, I'm the guy that's, like, I'm, you know, I'm the one-legged uh, man in a butt-kicking contest. I'm the one-armed paper hanger. Uh, I'm the guy that, like, did, did, did I wipe? I mean, like, I, I'm not keeping up, right? That's why. Um, but, man, I, I hope you know I love you. And uh, the, the same thing with Midtown Baptist Temple. I don't actually know all of those people. I really don't. There's no way. I mean, once your church is over 50 people, you don't know everybody. There's just, I mean, not really. You may know a lot about them, but you don't really know them. And 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 so, uh, but man, I, they're in my heart, and I love them. And uh, they mean the world to me. And so, you know, I can say hard things, and it's received because I have their heart. Okay, we have to. We have to recognize. You know, Paul says you've got 10,000 instructors. There's 10,000 people that want to tell you how it is and what you need to do, but you don't have many fathers. There's not many people that will just say, Man, don't you know how much I, I love you and how desperate I am to see Christ formed in you? And, uh, and, and that'll give you a lot of traction. Loving God's people goes a long way to cover for your failures. <laughs> and you have them, and make no mistake, your people see them. They absolutely see your failures, they absolutely see your shortcomings. But if they see your heart, no big deal. As a matter of fact, your, fail- your failures and your shortcomings will endear you to, to God's people. They're not going to excuse you being wrong and being a slob and being insufficient. They're not going to excuse any of it, but they're going to recognize you're made out of dirt just like them. And God's using you, and it'll be encouraging. And if God can use that schmuck, Miles, praise the Lord. You know how to move forward in faith. So this begs the next point that's so easy to forget. Pastoring a sheep care, care is your next blank. So if you unwisely overdrive the flock, you're going to hinder or hurt it. Um, You know, anytime you're remodeling ministry, you're not remodeling a building. You're remodeling a body. Don't you know that plastic surgery can kill you? Right? Any remodeling is potentially deadly. Okay? So be very careful. Uh, Don't make the mistake, right, Solomon's son made you think my father was impressive now I'm in charge let me show you a thing or 500 man the whole thing fell apart you don't get to remodel a body a people a country right you don't get to remodel a church now sometimes the church has to conform to a biblical principle a biblical standard for ministry But if you overdrive them and you're forcing a remodel and you're doing it through structure, you run the risk of actually damaging the body. Think about the illusions the scripture gives to provide insight in terms of how biblical leadership is supposed to engage. We already talked about parenting, you know, fathering. How does that work? Man, fathers love their children. Fathers will lay down, you know. I, I started getting, I thought I loved Cheryl when I married her. I really did. I, like I sincerely convinced myself that I love Cheryl whenever I married her well I have since okay so now this year will be I think 27 years for us I know for a fact that I had no idea how to love Cheryl whenever I married her well this is 27 years and three babies later okay ah okay now I've been included a few things <laughs> uh, it, to be honest I, I married Cheryl because I wanted to have sex with her that that was probably 90 f- okay 99% of the motivation Uh, I you know she was the one I had to make her mine and so um, now I've got a daughter that's marrying age and I got a guy who's interested in her and he's a good kid but he don't love her he thinks he does but I know now he doesn't now I'm confident he'll be a guy who will learn and grow in his love for my daughter but um, man when I brought her home from the hospital I mean That's one of those memories that, that was yesterday for me. She was like this, like literally yesterday, and I'm, I'm looking at her, and I'm like, oh, God, help me. How is she going to come out okay when I'm her dad? You know, please help me. I, 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 I want to do right by Sophia. And then two more came, and it's like, now I have sons, and... And again, I mean, both of them, it's just this vivid memory and the weight that came on my shoulders, you know, when I'm responsible for these lives to move forward. And then, you know, it's, it's by, the, by the second kid, you know, I'm looking at my wife in a whole new light. I mean, it's like, this woman is my life. Everything that I have in terms of my family has come from this woman. What a treasure she is. And. And uh, one of these days, all these little jerks are going to go on and they're going to live their own lives and we're barely ever going to get to talk to them. We're going to see our grandkids once a year and, and, uh, and it's just going to be me and her. And, and, and now there's a part of me that's like, can't wait. <laughs> um, I have learned, I, mar- I loved her when I married her, but I've learned to love my wife. She is exceeding precious to me. And so that's, that's one of the illusions that the Bible gives as husband. You know, what's a What's a husband? Well, we're called a husband because we're supposed to husband our wives. Right? We're to be husbanding our wives. A husbandman works a garden. And in a garden, you can't make a tomato plant bear fruit. Do we have Kleenexes? Is there something? I'm like blubbering like a moron and... I'm not a pretty crier like Pastor Shelby. He uh he always looks so elegant and stately. I'm that guy. My face turns red and snot's flying everywhere. It's just gross. You 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 know, you could be a really good gardener, but you actually can't make anything bear fruit. You can't make anything grow, can you? All you can do is provide the environment, right? You can provide the necessary care and support that creates the conditions to make fruit bearing possible. But you can't make it bear fruit. You can't make it grow. You can't make it yield. Uh, You can't make it yield fruit. You got to work a field and that takes patience and hard work. And then because living things grow and because the, 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 the seed is in itself well, then, because of God's design, it will bear fruit. Now, however, you can garden like me. I grew up gardening and actually did pretty good whenever I was held to it. Now everything gets in the way. And you go to my garden most every year, and it's like, welcome to the jungle. You know, it's just crazy. <laughs> it's just bad. Like, I, 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 the condition I create for my garden, uh, the fruit that comes out of it, is a miracle every year. I mean, there's just very little fruit, and all of it is just exceeding precious miracle because I don't. I don't care for it. I don't take care of it like I should. You can't, you can't make the church bear fruit, but you can create the environment and the conditions that make fruit bearing possible. Shepherd is another illusion. Uh, a, sh- a pastor is a shepherd, so shepherding takes patience and care. Why? Because sheep can be dumb and frustrating. Psalms 95, we are the people of his pasture. Uh, Jeremiah 23 tells us to beware woe. Be unto pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, saith the Lord. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of Israel against the people of the pastors that feed my sheep. You have scattered my flock and driven them away and not visited them. Behold, I will visit upon you the evil of your doings, saith the Lord. Man, I read that passage, Jeremiah 23, from time to time, and I tremble. Um, Man, God's people are so precious. And I have the ability to take them into my heart and care for them. God's people are a flock that have to be tended, not overdriven. They have to be cared for and protected because wolves are after them. And so I, 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 I got to be careful, right? Because people, I, I know there are principles, right? God is adding to Midtown Baptist Temple daily such as should be saved. But I also know that the enemy is sowing tares into the congregation. So how do I do that? Well, there's a principle from the kingdom of heaven. Uh, both grow up and you, you sort them out at the end. You know, but I also know that God has the ability to translate people from the tear kingdom into the wheat kingdom. And so, you know, if a tear feels like coming, I know the word of God is powerful and has the ability to cut you six ways to Sunday and uh, separate you from yourself. And so that's possible. At the same time, I recognize there are wolves who, man, these days, they're not even dressed in sheep's clothing. I mean, they just come right into the church dressed in wolves' clothing, and, and they're there to consume the flock. Paul warned in acts chapter 20 he says i know this i know this that after my departing grievous wolves enter into the church they're going to come up of you right of your own selves men arise they speak perverse things and their goal isn't to you know see disciples follow after christ they want disciples to follow after them so he's warning them and look at look at acts chapter 20 verse 28 here's the solution we need to take heed therefore to ourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made us overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood I have to recognize that a people that Christ bought with his blood obviously they're exceeding precious to Jesus I don't get to despise what Christ bought with his blood and so I'm dealing with people and some of them are very frustrating and I'm like is this a tear is this just a weak baby Christian is this a wolf you know what what's going on and so with trembling I don't get to run off somebody who's sincerely trying to sort it out you know with trembling I don't get to I don't get to mistreat somebody because they're presenting as a tear I, I gotta be very careful to make sure that I'm not frustrating the work of God in the life of a baby brother or baby sister in Christ and for that I need the help of the Holy Spirit man Oh God look at this precious people that you know, be not many masters. Ours is the greater judgment. There's greater condemnation for us at the judgment seat of Christ, you know. Oh God, please have mercy on them. You gave them me as their pastor. (laughs) And so Lord, please let me take them into my heart. Let me love them because I'm going to have to say hard things to them. I don't want them in my correcting of them to think that I'm rejecting them because their father in heaven doesn't reject them. Does that make sense? Okay, so the spiritual reality is, is we're always under attack. The enemy's always sowing tares. He's always sending in wolves, and, and we've got to know who to run off when. And so we need the help of the Holy Spirit. So that's number one. Number two, you cannot effectively make living things conform to your will. You can provide support, training. You can set an environment that's conducive to, throat, to growth and fruit-bearing, but you can't actually make people grow up in Christ. Number three, in terms of pastoral philosophy... You don't need some brilliant 100-part plan. You need an approach. If you're going to pastor, pastoring is like gardening, right? Pastoring is like parenting. Pastoring is like shepherding sheep. You don't need a 100-part plan. You don't need a complex formula. You need a biblical approach. You need a biblical attitude. You need a mentality. You need a way that you roll as a pastor. That's what you need. And what the pastor does, he says, this is the biblical hill that we're going to take. Here's the direction that we as a flock are going to pursue as, our, as this local church. Here's the biblical philosophy of ministry that we're going after. And then you just start tending. You start tending the sheep. And the way sheep move is we graze a little here, we graze a little there, but the whole time we're moving on to better pasture. That's the way that we move a herd. That's the way we move the flock of God. In other words, if I try to take people who are, who are, who are beginning in their walk with Christ and try to conform them to Christian maturity immediately through rules and regulations and, and uh, you know, a 100-part formula that, they, you know, it's rocket science, they've got to follow it and you need a degree to, to figure out what's going on. We're not going to get anywhere fast. But if I will slowly but surely say I know what hill I'm taking and I'm going to keep moving that direction and I'm going to keep reminding you of the direction that we're moving. In other words, as a flock, we're just going to graze our way there. So I'm not driving the sheep, I'm tending the sheep. Uh, one of the things that happens is you see a hole in your church, you see something that's going wrong, and this is, I, I know this is a temptation that we face all the time. Uh, we don't talk about tithing enough. We don't talk, well, we talk about tithing as often as it comes up in Scripture. I don't have to talk about tithing all the time. Well, we need to get the tithing up. <laughs> well, okay, you know, we'll get to it. In other words, we're never done talking about tithing. But I don't have to talk about tithing all the time. I, mean, I only get these people for just a few minutes every week. And so we need the full counsel of God's word. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I don't have time to talk about tithing today, but maybe I can mention it when I'm praying over the offering. I can, I can pray a biblical principle over the blessing of the offering that's not just genuinely asking the Lord for the reality of that biblical principle in the lives of his people. But it's also edifying the body of Christ at the same time. Why? Because they're joining with me in prayer to our Father. Uh, so I can I a little here, a little there. <laughs> I, can, I can begin to build the people over time. I can't cover everything every time. Right? You're not going to deal with sexual sin in every sermon. If so, you're probably a, you know, wrestling with something yourself. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, You you just can't. You can't do it. So you're tending the sheep. And so I recognize that, you know, the sheep need worming. Okay, so we're going to make our way to the worming station, you know. Uh, We need some alfalfa. Well, we're going to make our way to the alfalfa field. Number four, if we're going to see the flock produce shepherds, now that's something to see sheep, a flock of sheep spit out shepherds. Well, that's going to take deliberate focus. And that's where I want to spend the rest of my time talking uh, this week. I want to talk about... How do we see the flock produce shepherds? And so our main point, number one, what time do we need to be done? We need to be done in like 10 minutes? We're going to make it. Is that right? Ten fifteen? Oh, we need to be done in five minutes. We're going to almost make it. Okay, so let me introduce this to you, and then we're going to get really into the nitty-gritty over the next two days. We've got to train up disciples with a vision to be ministers. And so our motto is every member a minister. Uh, we, talk, we, we, we throw that out all the time. Not every time, but all the time, right? Consistently, we're reminding people, hey, God wants to use you in the lives of people. And so this means that good pastors trust that God is at work in the lives of growing leaders. I have to believe that, that God's gonna work in you, that God's raising you up to invest your life into the life of another people for God's glory. And so we're not just training God's people, we're also entrusting them with tasks, right? So if if I know something, now I have the capacity to start saying something. And a lot of churches what happens is we want you to come and sit and just get what I have for you and then come back next week and sit and get what I have for you. And if if all it is is locker room talks and nobody gets a chance to get out on the field, people end up kind of frustrated and they may not know why. You know, Well, we talk about football all the time, but I never actually get to play. Uh, there are people that actually you need to get out of the way and let them quarterback every once in a while. You need to teach them. You need to entrust them with tasks that you're training them for. And we'll talk about that more uh, over the next couple of days. Paul, when he's praying for the church at Ephesus, he's praying that they'll get what God has for them. And he's trusting that God is at work for them. And the culmination of the prayer, you've got the reference there, you can read it. But he says, I'm trusting that God is doing exceedingly abundantly above all I'm ever asking or thinking. God's power is working in you. I know that God is at work in your lives. But we also know that if we're going to have a ministry that is going to teach people that's going to train them and entrust them with the work of the ministry that means we have to do the things that produce the environment where they can okay so if we're going to have a ministry that's multiplying leadership that means we got to say yes to the right things but that also demands a hard no to many good things okay so i didn't say wrong things i said good things churches are full of so many good things that end up you know, you, you, everything has a cost. And so if I'm going to pull off project A or service C or, or operation M, okay, all of these things have a cost associated with them time, money, people, resources. And, in, and, and so many of these things are so good, but they actually take all the time, the money, the energy, uh, the impetus out of producing, reproducing disciples, okay? We can get busy doing so many good things and forget to ensure the commanded thing, right? We can preach multiple times a week. We can lead Bible studies. Uh, We can attend meetings that ultimately end up producing nothing by way of sending proven leaders to reproduce our local churches. Uh, You know, the, the, the urgent things that come up in ministry can get us away from the commanded thing, And we got to recognize that as pastors. We need to beware of falling into the trap of, you know, just chasing our tail, trying to keep up with the emergency at hand, the the emergency du jour, and then we don't actually have time to build the leaders that are going to actually be leading the church forward in ministry. Many pastors fall into the trap of talking, (laughs) uh, dreaming. They're talkers. They're dreamers. They're not doers. You can actually... You can lead a lot of people for a long time talking about the mission and never actually do anything significant in terms of fulfilling it. You can talk about what needs to happen, where you need to go, and never actually get anywhere. So we've got to tactically engage in the things that produce the biblically mandated results. And so we've got to make sure our time is invested in the things that produce the product we say we value. Again, we want to know how we ought to behave ourselves in the house of God. So that means saying no to a lot of really good ideas, and saying no to a lot of things that people want to do. So in other words, I have to ask myself, if this doesn't directly result in the winning of souls, the making of disciples, the training, equipping, and the sending of proven leaders, then we don't have time or money, resources for it. Sorry. It's a great idea. Maybe down the road we can figure out a way to use that uh, in terms of where our church is going as a whole, but... You know, saying no is hard. That's why many churches get overwhelmed with programs and activities that just keep people busy but not fruit bearing. Is this making sense to you guys? Okay, so we got to give ourselves to the things that give us 2 Timothy 2 2, right? The things that we've heard among many witnesses, we want to commit those to faithful men and women, and we know they're faithful because they're going to turn around and do the exact same thing. They're going to teach others also. And so, once you look under the hood of everything that goes on at MBT, you'll see there's not actually a lot of time for a lot of activities and programs. Okay, so here's the list, and I think it's in your notes. This is what we're basically calling our members to. You need to be in Sunday worship. You need to be in a Sunday fellowship. This is how we break down our church into small groups. This is the Sunday fellowships. All require growing pastoral leadership. We're reproducing... Church wide ministry in small pockets. This is one of the ways that we do that through Sunday fellowships. Tuesday night prayer ministry is a big deal. Uh, you you want to get your work schedule fixed so that you're not working on Tuesday nights because that's when the church at MBT comes together for corporate worship and prayer. We want them in an accountability Bible study at least twice a month. The young people normally are every week. You're either discipling or being discipled. That's typically a once a week deal commitment. LFBI. That's once a week for nine months out of the year for four years, uh, plus homework. And then, man, we're calling every member to start a Bible study with the lost. Okay, so that's easily five or more points throughout the week where they're connecting with who we are and what we're doing as a local church. And if people are going to have downtime and the ability to actually build relationships with the lost so they can invite them into Bible study, we actually don't have time to do anything else other than what we're doing. Does that make sense? We don't have if we're if people are going to get relationships with the lost so that they get a Bible study going so they can win souls and make disciples, we can't afford to have a bunch of programs that keep them tied up with each other. They're already tied up with each other enough. You see all that stuff that we're doing together? Now go and 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 follow God's call on your life, build relationships and see souls saved and discipled and won for the glory of Christ. So saying yes to the right things. Okay, so what we did up front is we said, we know what we want the ministry to look like. We're just a handful of people trusting God for something big in the hood. And we want a church that's a sending church. We know that. So from Midtown, we want to send and start churches around town. But we also want to start churches around the country and around the world. So what will it take? What does the ministry structure need to look like in order to produce that? In other words, what's the biblical philosophy of ministry that allows us to send proven leaders around the world. Okay, so we recognize very quickly, you know, all we have time for is outreach and discipleship. That's our ministry plan, right? All that just to say this: all we have time for is is Bible studies with the lost and 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 discipling the saved. And so our ministry structure, right? Our our, our the structure that we have is core to who we are as a church. In other words, we didn't build a ministry engine. Uh, because it sounded good or it looked, no, in other words, to, per, to produce and send proven leaders, what will that take? If we're going to be an assembly line, if we're not a warehouse, but we're an assembly line, if we want to ship product to the world, what's that going to take? And so I've got a chart, this is kind of what the ministry wheel looks like at MBT, okay? So if, you're, if, you're, if you've been added to Midtown Baptist Temple, uh, such as should be saved, okay, you're going to start with the cost of discipleship. Right? You're going to start with discipleship. You're going to start with the new members class. In other words, we want you to get plugged in right from the beginning, knowing what the expectations are. We set the bar where the Bible sets it. Um, everybody that's discipled goes through COD. Everybody that goes through COD gets sent to the new members class because we're not playing. <laughs> we, are, you know, we want to invest in the people that God has brought to us that can buy in on the mission that God's given to us. Once they're discipled, they go... They start the on-ramp to LFBI, and in Discipleship two, they actually get the training to be a minister. Uh, They get introduced to the spiritual and character qualities of the minister. We take them through the seven stages of growth. We then teach them the philosophy and how to disciple, uh, the philosophy of discipleship, how to disciple. And then we teach them how to study the Bible. And at the end of that first two semesters of Bible school, they are apprenticed with an experienced discipler to take some of those that are coming in and begin discipling themselves. In other words, we don't put people in discipleship relationships. um, um, We don't just throw them in the deep end. They actually have a buddy for the first disciple or two. From there, because we're sending growing leaders, okay, we're inviting every member to LFBI. And as they grow in their ministry understanding, then we actually give them a a shot to lead, right? They actually get to lead in ministry. Again, if all you're doing is training and you never get to play, that's frustrating. So we do the ministry as we train our leaders, and as we train our leaders, that's how we're doing the ministry. In other words, we're not formal, right? We're not, um, yeah, give me 30 seconds, I'm wrapping up. We're not formal. Uh, Because our leaders, our growing leaders are leading, that, by necessity, gives us a very informal, very casual, very rough ministry um, because the, the, the young kids are making mistakes and, and, uh, you know, and I'm their pastor, so it's obviously going to be rough. <laughs> but uh, What comes out of that, though, is a place or a church where everybody sees what's happening, right? Even the new people will come up to me and say, uh, this is amazing. You've got all of these people that are ministering and serving. Uh, I met a person who's been here. I, I hear this every once in a while. I met a person who's only been here for a couple years, and they know their Bible better than my old pastor. I mean, like, what, praise the Lord, touchdown. Okay, so we're going to take a break there, and we're going to talk about very practical things that we're doing that enable people to lead. They're learning, they're growing, and then how we're entrusting them to lead God's people in our local church ministry structure. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your time.